You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Like we say all the time, that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. We haven't even seen anything yet. And so he still has more in store for us. And I believe he's going to take us um, to, uh, in, into some of that today uh, with our message for today. If you've got a Bible, you've got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Um, and we are going to uh, pick up in Judges chapter 13. We're going to land there in just a moment. Um, Today we're in part seven of a series called Heroes of Faith, where over the past several weeks we've been taking a look at the various uh, characters from uh, the scripture that God used in extraordinary ways by highlighting both their strengths and their struggles, their setbacks and their successes, in the hopes of uncovering some nuggets of truth that when we apply those truths to our own lives will position us to be used by God in extraordinary ways as well. Before we get into the message proper this morning, I just want to start by, like, uh, many of you know that um, I love, I really enjoy music, and I have quite the broad and eclectic musical taste. Um, And I don't know if it's an actual clinical condition or not, but um, I've described it as I kind of live my life uh, for as long as I can remember, there's a, 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 just a soundtrack kind of playing in the back of my mind. Like at, at, at any time, like due to this condition, I can just start belting out the lyrics of some random song. And it doesn't really matter, um, you know, where we are. It could be like in Walmart or, you know, something like that. And, and it, it causes both my family and then innocent bystanders who are privy to this to think that maybe I'm crazy is really what it, um, you know, like we might need to get that guy a muzzle and a straight jacket and some, no amen from my wife, nothing. Okay. Uh, that was your, was your opportunity right there and you just wasted it. Um, but at least part of this I can, I can justify because my brain will often connect something that I'm experiencing in the real world with a song that I've heard over the course of my lifetime or perhaps beyond, and um, I'll I'll just start singing it. For example, this past week, Sarah and I, we were getting ready to go out to dinner with some friends, uh, and while she was getting dressed, I just randomly began to sing Mel McDaniel's 1984 hit, Heaven Help Us, Baby's Got Her Blue Jeans On. (laughs) Don't act like you don't know it. Don't act like that wasn't like at the top of your Spotify playlist on the way over here, you know? And then later, I started singing, baby, lock the door and turn the lights down. No, I didn't sing that because Sarah would have shut that down immediately. She's like, I'm having none of that. And as I've been preparing for today's message, it's been more of the same. I've had another particular song that just keeps playing in the back of my mind that I I think really sets the tone for the character and the theme that we're going to be discussing today. And it's Frank Sinatra's My Way from 1969. In case you're unfamiliar, no, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to spare you all of that. Um, some of you were getting really excited. I saw some people leaning out to the front of their seat. I think it was really because they were about to run out the back door. 
more than anything, because I sing at one volume loud. That's it. That's the only volume I have, and I may or may not be on key. It, it just depends on the day. Um, but in case you're unfamiliar with uh, Sinatra's My Way, the lyrics describe a man that is looking back over the events of his life, and he's taking great pride in the fact that it was a life well lived because he, at every turn, had chosen to live it his own way. And, and on paper, this is like an, an incredible sentiment. The, the idea that he didn't, over the course of his lifetime, he didn't let any outside influences determine him from living life the way that he saw fit. That whatever happened, whatever experiences he had, good, bad, or indifferent, at least those things happened to him because he called all the shots. And while it makes for a really great and classic song, when it comes to what the Bible teaches us, it's actually pretty terrible theology. Consider, for example, what we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We read this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So ultimately, in this passage, is one of my favorite Uh, little passages in all of scripture, what the Bible is communicating here is, is simply this, that this life that we've been given to live, it's not our own. And, and while God loved us enough to bestow on us the free will to make our own choices, the best way that we could ever choose to live our lives is in complete and total submission to him and to his plan that he has in store for us. And that it's that kind of lifestyle that provides the easiest and the most direct route to our final destination to fulfill the calling that God has placed on us. And, and I realize here this morning that as I talk about that, that this is something that is much easier said than done, which serves as the reason that many of us live lives that are all out of whack. It's because rather than choosing to submit to God and, and living his way for our lives, we've chosen to do things in accordance with our own desires and our own cravings instead, and which lead us to turn the path that we're on from being something that is straight into something that is crooked and meandering, and we often find ourselves completely off the path altogether. And today's character that we're going to look at from the Bible is an example of just that. It's someone who, despite being set apart from God by birth, despite being chosen for a unique and special work, despite being anointed specifically to carry out God's plan for his life, that things ended in tragedy for him simply because he chose to do things his own way instead of God's way. And I'm talking, of course, about none other than a man by the name of Samson. And so while our, our, our series title is Heroes of Faith, really Samson is kind of the anti-hero if you will, and, and, and we're, we're going we're gonna to find that out as we take a, a kind of a 30,000-foot view of his story here this morning. Now, if, if you grew up in church at all, you spent time in Sunday school or, or whatever, perhaps you have a preconceived notion of who this guy Samson was and perhaps even what he might have looked like. Like maybe once upon a time you saw a flannel graph. Where's my flannel graph, people? Anyway, I got a few of those in the house. If you don't know what that is, just Google it later and you'll be like, they actually used this? 
It was when we rode dinosaurs to church. It was a whole thing. Um, but maybe you saw a flannel graph or like a coloring sheet that showed a man with a majestic head of hair with like rippling biceps, ruggedly handsome features to match his magnetic personality, which made him virtually irresistible to the opposite sex. Maybe that's the picture that you have of Samson in your head. But as I've studied and dug deeper into the life of Samson, I've come to realize that he's not much like me at all. (laughs) Some of y'all will get that on the drive home. That's okay. (laughs) Consider first Samson's long hair. It it, it wouldn't have been trimmed, uh, cut or trimmed from birth. And, and, and this is in accordance with um, his Nazarite vow. We'll, we'll talk more about this later. But it was a special consecration of a person to the Lord. And you can read more about this in Numbers chapter 6, what the Nazarite vow was all about. And um, when, for someone who took the Nazarite vow, they, they would not cut their hair, they wouldn't touch dead bodies or dead things, and they wouldn't eat or drink of any fruit of the vine. And so we'll, we'll, th- those, those keys will be important to Samson's life later, and we'll, we'll kind of dig into that um, here in a little bit. But, but, I mean, you consider, like, from birth, like, dude hasn't cut or trimmed his hair. And there was no such thing in this day and age as, like, Vidal Sassoon or Paul Mitchell. There was no VO5 hot oil, you know. Some of y'all remember that. His hair was probably disgusting and matted, and there were probably, like, leaves and stuff in it. Like, it was gross, y'all. All right? And so that, that kind of myth buster, that, that bust myth number one about Samson. But secondly, let's consider his relationship with the opposite sex. Now, in these four chapters that kind of encompass Samson's life here in the book of Judges, um, we see him come in contact out primarily with three women. Um, that he is romantically involved with in some capacity. The first is a Philistine woman from the city of Timnah, and he had his parents go and set her up with him. The second is a Philistine prostitute, which he was having to pay for. And then the third is a Philistine by the name of Delilah, who only paid him any attention because she was in cahoots with the Philistine men who wanted to capture and overthrow Samson to exact revenge for things that he had done to them previously. So he wasn't quite the ladies' man that we may think that he was. And then finally, let's take into consideration his strength, because this is probably, like me, the thing that he is known most for, right? (laughs) At first glance, a lot of us, we think that when we're reading the story, we think that it's really that his hair is the source of his strength. But his hair is actually symbolic of, as I mentioned before, this Nazarite vow that he has taken that has consecrated him unto and connected him with the Lord. But it was actually the spirit of the Lord that was the source of his strength. We see this no less than four times over the course of Samson's story that that the Bible is explicit in its communication that that it was the spirit of the Lord that came mightily upon Samson, allowing him to conduct these various feats of strength, some of which we'll talk about here in just a minute. And so to me, as as I look at Samson, I I think it's it's really less impressive if, if he resembles like the world's strongest man. It's a whole lot more impressive if he's like just a regular dude with a dad bod, right? 
that the spirit of the Lord comes on and then all of a sudden he can do like this crazy stuff. And so like that, that's probably like what we're dealing with. It's not a guy with like beautiful hair. It's probably long and matted and gross. He wasn't good with the ladies. He's not like, he doesn't have big, he's not a bodybuilder or anything. He's just some guy. But yet the Lord has chosen him even out of the ordinary and said, this is my man for this time, for this season, for this special work. But Samson, he is unable to connect all the dots and he ends up messing it all up. And so we read Samson's story in the Old Testament book of Judges beginning in chapter 13 and it concludes in chapter 16. And this is a time period in the nation of Israel before God has placed kings to rule over them. And if you've never read the book of Judges, I would highly encourage you not just to go back and read Samson's story, which we're just going to kind of take a glimpse at this morning, but read the entirety of the book of Judges. There's some crazy stuff going on in the book of Judges. There's There's a man that dies on the toilet Um, There is a woman who drives a tent peg through another dude's skull. Like, there's some crazy stuff going on. And so um, it's it's really, really a good read, and I would would encourage you. There's some exciting stuff taking place. It's like it should be like a TV show is really what it should be. Um, And when we think of judges, when you hear the word judges... So this is before kings were placed over the nation of Israel. But these judges weren't like what we think of today. They're not like wearing robes and have gavels and like powdered wigs or anything like that. Um, They're actually military leaders that were put in place to protect the nation of Israel against the onslaught and oppression of surrounding nations and people groups. And Samson is really like we could we could pretty much agree that he's Israel's worst judge. They, he, he's like the last one, and so it just gets worse as it goes along. Um, and he lived during a time period of 20 years of onslaught and oppression at the hands of arguably Israel's greatest foe, the Philistines, all right? And so that kind of catches us up and sets the tone for where we're at. And what we're going to see is that Samson's life is a tale of tragedy which serves as a warning to both you and me of the pitfalls of choosing to live life our own way instead of God's way. Because rather than Samson's life being highlighted by his deliverance of his own people, uh, the people of Israel from the Philistines, it was instead highlighted by destruction, eventually culminating in Samson's own demise as a result of his arrogance, his pride, and his consistent compromise. So those are the things that we're going to look at here for the next few minutes. If, you've, uh, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. We're going to talk about five um, self-destructive mistakes that Samson made. Samson's five self-destructive mistakes. And the first one of those mistakes is this. Number one, Samson despised his heritage. Samson despised his heritage. So picking up there in Judges chapter 13, starting with verse 2, it says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah... From the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. 
he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It's important to know right here at the front end that Samson is being born to believing parents. These are God-fearing people. In fact, we, we see in a little bit later in verse 8, we see this, that, that Manoah actually, he, he prays to the Lord. It says, Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. That while, while she's pregnant, his wife is pregnant, and they know that this son is going to be born, they want to be sure, hey, God, we want to be sure that we're raising our son the right way in accordance with your rules, your regulations, your principles, your precepts. We want this to, to turn out the way that it's supposed to. So he, he, he comes to believing parents, and, and not only did, were, were they uh, uh, People that prayed, they also offered sacrifices unto the Lord. In in verse 19, we read this. It says, Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And so these were not just your run-of-the-mill people that God just showed up to one day. No, these were people that they were people of faith. And and so when, when the Lord blessed them with this child... They took the stance of, we want to do everything that we can to position this child for success and to come into agreement and alignment with the plan that you have for his life. So it's important for us to note right here at the beginning that that's the kind of of family, of home, that Samson is being born into. And the Lord said that he was going to be a Nazarite. He was going to be specially consecrated unto the Lord, which meant that he wouldn't cut his hair, he wouldn't touch dead things, and he wouldn't eat or drink of fruit from the vine, as we've mentioned already. And so ultimately, this was his parents' choice to go along with this. Because when he's a little kid, like he doesn't know. He's not able to make these decisions for, them, for himself. So the responsibility is on his mom and dad to ensure that, that he is in this position. And as a result of this, I want you to watch what happens. In in, uh, chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, it says, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Because of who his parents were, Samson was blessed by the Lord, and the Holy Spirit began to move in his life. And this morning, as I stand in front of you today, I'm thankful for believing parents. I'm thankful for uh, a rich heritage in ministry that, that, um, that it has been a part of my life. You know, people ask me all the time, did you grow up in church? And my answer is always something like, I've been going to church since nine months before I was born, right? Like when I was a kid growing up in my parents' house and my grandfather was my pastor, if, if we were having church, if something was going on at the church, if the door was open and the lights were on, we were there. That was, that's just how it was. And, and some of you are here today because you had a praying mama, right? Like that's, that's how it, some, some of you made it to where you were today just because your mama would not give up praying for you and you've been through some stuff and maybe you've gone away from the Lord and you've come back around again. Some of us are here today just because we had parents who said, we're going to grab a hold of God for our family and we're going to set that example. There's a lot of people though that are not in a right relationship with the Lord today. 
because they've turned away from commitments they made as a child. Or they've turned away from the way that they grew up and the things that were invested in and, and, and poured into them. And maybe some of you are here today or, or watching with us online or whatever, and, and, and you might say, that, that's not how I grew up, you know? My family never went to church. Like, it's by the grace of God that I'm even connected. It's by the grace of God that I even have a relationship with him. And if, if that's not your story, then I, I just want to encourage you, there's no time like the present to begin to establish that kind of heritage and legacy for future generations, like, just because it wasn't the thing that the heritage that you were born into doesn't mean that you can't establish it for what is yet to come and the generations that are coming after you. Proverbs 22, 6 tells us this. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That's a promise that we have from the word of the Lord. Now, I, I just I want to talk to some parents here this morning. I'm a parent. And so I feel like we have something in common. Can I, is it okay if I just speak into your life as, as a parent really, really quick? Now, there's nothing wrong inherently with extracurricular activities. But somewhere along the line, we've let those outside activities begin to creep in and overshadow what should be the main thing. And it's all really good stuff. It's really good stuff. It's, it's, it's schoolwork and academics. It's travel sports. It's part-time jobs as our kids get older. It's dating relationships. It's, it's hobbies. It's family time that we'll put the label on. And there's all of those things are great things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the problem comes in when, when we allow those things to be the, the reason that our relationship with God suffers. Or when it's not put in its proper place and, and we don't properly prioritize that in our life and in our family. Uh, I, I hate to break this to somebody here this morning, but I'm going to have to. There, there's a strong chance your kid isn't going pro. Okay? <laughs> Statistically, I, I've, I've even done the research to prove it. I'm not just saying that. Roughly 853 players which is equivalent to 0.00075% make the pros each year out of an original population of 1.1 million high school athletes. So to put that number in perspective, that's about the same odds of you getting struck by lightning at some point in your life as it is your child going pro in sports. I'm not saying it can't happen, it just probably won't. But what I can guarantee is going to happen to your children is that one day they are going to have to stand before their creator and give an account for how they live their life. And so what, what I came to ask, what I came to challenge is in that moment, have we set our kid up for success when that's going to happen? Because they may never get the chance to stand on the podium and get that gold medal or hold that trophy in the air, but they are going to have the chance to stand before God and give an account for their life. So we need to determine how we're going to set our kids up for success. There's nothing wrong with them being really good at whatever it is that they're good at. But when that takes the place of their relationship with God and, and, and our focus as a family on that, then something is wrong and out of whack. And we're not doing the things that we should be doing as their parents. 
Moms and dads, it's, it's on us. It is our responsibility. And I believe that more than anything else, what this next generation needs to see is, is us pursuing Jesus with reckless abandon. The, ch- the question, are we going to church on Sunday, is something that should never be asked in any of our households because our kids should already know the answer. Yes, of course we're going to church on Sunday because guess what? We need each other. We can't do life alone. We got to have this. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is important. And I'm not saying don't go on vacation or like stuff happens, things come up, live your life. But we need to make this a priority. So our kids need to know we're going to church. We're making it a priority. It's something that adds value to our life. But it's so much bigger than that. It's not just bringing our kids to church. Our our kids need to see us giving of our time and our talent, our treasure and our testimony. They need to experience mom and dad engaged in worship of their heavenly father. They need to witness us reading our Bibles. When's the last time your kid walked into your room and saw you reading your Bible? Or saw you knelt down in prayer? When's the last time that happened? They need to encounter us going out of our way to seek out the lost and the broken and the hurting, the people that are, that are far from God, but they're really close to us and extending those people the love of Christ. We need to get back around the dinner table together as families. We need to take communion together. We need to, we need to lay hands on and pray for our kids and our families around the table, before bed, on the way to school, whatever that looks like for you and your family. But we need, to, we need to redeem that in our own family because that's what it looks like to live God's way and to leave behind a legacy that's worth living. And so a key question for us to consider here this morning talking about this point number one is, is where are we despising the heritage that has been promised to us as sons and daughters of God? Where have we despised that heritage in our life? Because that's what Samson did. He despised his heritage. Number two, Samson defied his parents. Judges 14, we continue on in his story, verses 1 through 3. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, it's important to know that Timnah is a city or a town in, uh, in, in Philistia. Or in, it's a Philistine city, however you would say that. I don't know. Um, and my question is, why in the world was he there? Like, that was the worst enemy of his people. And they were the one that, during Samson's reign as judge, that gave Israel the most trouble. Why in the world is he going into enemy territory looking for a wife? It doesn't make any sense to me. And not only was he doing that, but he was doing this in in direct opposition to God's law, which uh, uh, regarding intermarrying with those outside of the nation of Israel. You can read all about that in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It was actually forbidden for them to do this. And it's in this moment that I picture Samson. He's kind of like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? He's telling his dad, I want it. 
I want it now. You know, I want the golden goose. I don't, maybe he had a British accent. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> Daddy, I want the girl from Timna. You know, might have sounded something like that. I want a party with roomfuls of laughter. 10,000 cakes and 10 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get that girl that I'm after, I'm going to scream. You know, that's how I envision this taking place. <laughs> Soundtrack playing in my head, I'm telling you. But he ignored the wisdom of his parents. They said, hey, this is bad news. You don't need to be going to enemy territory. What's wrong with all these ladies over here that belong to our people? But he said, no, I don't care how I want it now. And just like Veruca Salt fell down the chute and it led to her demise, we'll see how this begins to unravel Samson's life and ultimately lead to his own demise. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. It says this, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I thought all the moms and dads were going to amen right there. I was like, just setting you up and nothing. Okay, let's try that one more time. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. There we go. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. In other words, Son, daughter, if you do what I tell you to do, I won't kill you. That's ultimately what that verse is. I can remember when Sarah was pregnant, I used to lay my hands on her belly, and I would quote this passage of Scripture. I probably should have done it more for Avery. But we get what we get. Love that girl. So the question here is... is, is is this, it, it brings up some questions. What, what places are we going to in our life that we don't belong? Like Samson was in enemy territory. Where, where have we crossed over into enemy territory? Where have we gotten outside of God's boundaries for us and stepped into enemy territory? Websites, our entertainment choices, friends, bars, habits that we participate in. The list could go on and on. But perhaps even more than that, and, and what we see here in, in Samson's situation is what voices of wisdom are we choosing to ignore as a result of this? That, that not only have we stepped outside of God's boundaries in our life into enemy territory, but then when that voice of wisdom comes in, we say, no, I don't need that. And we're pushing it to the side like, like our, our parents. What are our parents, young people, what are your parents saying? What are your parents pushing back on your life with? Or, or maybe uh, uh, um, uh, those of you that are married, what, what's your spouse saying about the position of your life? Or maybe a, it's a life group leader or an accountability partner. Or what would, what would your pastor say? Or what does God and his word have to say about the way that you're choosing to live your life? See, what happens is, is just like Samson, we, we choose to ignore these voices due to our own pride and arrogance because we believe at the end of the day that we've got it under control and that we don't need the accountability. So like maybe answer this question right here. Like you don't, you don't have to answer it out loud or anything, but like if my blank knew where I was or what I was doing, would they approve or disapprove? If my parents knew, if my spouse knew, if my pastor knew, if God knew where I was and what I was doing, would they approve or disapprove? 
So the key question with this point is, is simply this. In, in what areas of our life are we choosing to ignore the voice of wisdom? Because that's what Samson did. Samson despised his heritage. He defied his parents. Number three, Samson defiled his body. We continue in uh, verse, or chapter 14 with verse 5. Samson defiled his body. It says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. And sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. All right, so the vineyards of Timnah, that's what Timnah was known for. It's, it's lush vineyards. Now, not only is that in Philistine territory, the enemy, but Samson is also a Nazarite. He's supposed to avoid fruit of the vine at all costs. Why, in God's name, is he in a vineyard? It's because it's compromise. It's because Samson took the, the attitude that it's no big deal if I'm near sin as long as I'm not participating in it. And not only that, but, but he didn't even tell his parents. What, what happens, he, he hid sin from the voices of wisdom and influence in his life, and he led them into sin as well because they were supposed to abstain from this thing along with him. See, the, the truth of this is, and, and what we see here in, in Samson's story, is that, that we don't sin in a vacuum. It doesn't just affect us. Our sin affects other people around us. The, the effect of that sin, it's extended to them as well. And, and, and all of this happened because he got off the path. It says he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. Again, not only is he in a vineyard, but now he's going toward, he's moving in the direction of a dead body. He turned aside, got off the path that he was on to return to the place of his previous sin. Here's compromise number two. And Samson did this because he wants to relive his own glory. He wants to, to, to just revel in the pride and the arrogance of, look what I did. Look at that big old scary line that I just ripped in half like it was a young goat. Uh, who's ripping goats in half? I'm telling you, you got to read the book of Judges. It's, it's incredible. See, Samson believed that what he had overcome before, he could surely overcome again. It was no big deal. And I can't help but wonder how, how many of us compromise in our faith and are, are willing to defile ourselves. We're willing to get off the path just so that we can get a little taste of the honey, you know? Just a little something sweet. Uh, it's, it's, it's too much alcohol or it's experimentation with drugs or, or that TV show, it's, it's okay, or, or that book or that magazine, that, that website, whatever the music we listen to, our romantic relationships. It's no big deal, we say. I enjoy it. It makes me feel good. After all, God understands he's the one that made me this way, right? And to make matters worse, what Samson did is he ends up gloating about it at the wedding feast by making it into a riddle, furthering his pride and his arrogance because he believed that he was above being caught and that the rules just didn't apply to him. Here's what Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 says about that. It says, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. If you got unconfessed sin in your life, 
This would be the best takeaway that I could give you here this morning. You need to go tell somebody and get out ahead of it before it comes to the, You need to control that narrative and go ahead and take action before it comes to the surface. It's the best thing that you could do today after service is go find somebody and confess what's been going on. It'll make things, it'll make matters a whole lot better on the back end than if that comes out otherwise. So the key question here for this is, what are we defiling ourselves with that we think isn't a big deal? What are we defiling ourselves with that we think, oh, this is no big deal? God understands. Samson despised his heritage. He defied his parents. He defiled his body, number four. Samson disregarded God's warning. He disregarded God's warning. Judges chapter 15, picking up in verse 14. It says, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. We see that again happening here. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And then, then Samson said, with a, donkey's do- uh, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Because he was very thirsty, skipping over to verse 18, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up a hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. Samson's in a dangerous spot here because he's, he's now boasting. And, and it's just furthering the evidence of his pride and his arrogance. The spirit of the Lord comes mightily upon him. He grabs this jawbone of a donkey. He slays a thousand men. And then he shares a poem with everyone that says, look what I did. Look at how I killed all those men. Instead of how great thou art, it's how great I am. That was Samson. And God's warning came to him in the fact that he got thirsty. What God was trying to help him see is, hey man, you're just a human. Like, you're not above any of this. You're not some supernatural figure. At the end of the day, like, you still uh, are going to get thirsty. And and, and Samson, instead, he blames God for his thirst, and, and he fails to see the fact that God is the one that provides him with the water. He's like totally missing the point here. He, he's not seeing any of these warnings. It's like when you approach a railroad crossing, right? You know, and it has like the flashing lights and the bell and the arms that come down. Did you know that each year there are 600 deaths in the United States of America at railroad crossings because people fail to ignore the warning signs? And they think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm fast enough. I can get around it. And they ignore it, and it leads to something catastrophic, as we're about to see in Samson's life as we come here to the end. And so the key question here is, is is there an area of your life that you could be ignoring God's warning signs? What are the warning signs, the flashing lights, the bell, the arms that are coming down, the people saying, hey, trying to get your attention. What's there that you've been ignoring? That's God trying to protect you from something. Because here's what happened to Samson. Because he didn't get this under control. He didn't listen to his parents. He, he forgot about his heritage. He, he did all of these things that he wasn't supposed to do. That, that ultimately, number five, is that Samson deliberately played with sin. This is what did him in. He deliberately played with sin. 
Judges 16.1, it says this. It says, one day, Samson went to Gaza. Now, when he went to Gaza, he ends up falling in love with this woman named Delilah, and she's in cahoots with the other Philistine men, and the, the passage continues, and, and, and so what, what Delilah is trying to do is get Samson to reveal the source of his strength to her so that the Philistine men can come in and subdue him, to capture him. And she's, she's nagging him, tell me the secret of your great strength, how you can be tied up and how you can be subdued. And Samson, in verse 7 it's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going, to, just going to read through it. It says, But he answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. So she does that. And then she says, He falls asleep, and she ties him up and, with the bowstrings. And, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up, and he rips through the bowstrings. And then he defeats the Philistines. And then... She starts complaining, Delilah starts complaining and crying and whining to him. Why, why are you lying to me? Why? And he says, okay, fine, if you tie me up with, with new ropes. And so she lulls him to sleep and uh, ties him up with new ropes. And then she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up and he rips through the new ropes and he overcomes the Philistines. And so that's twice. And the third time. She says, Samson, she keeps nagging him. Why are, you, why are you doing this? Why don't you tell me the truth? And he says, okay, if you take the seven locks of my nappy hair and you weave it into the loom and, and, and put the pen in it and everything, then I will become as weak as any other man. And so she lulls him to sleep and, and she weaves it into the loom and, and tightens it with the pen. And then the men come in and she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he, he wakes up once again. And, and not only does he take out the men, but he like breaks down the loom and like carries it off with him and everything. And now that's three times that she's lied. And so finally she's like, I thought you said you loved me. I thought that this was forever. I thought that this was real. And yet you're withholding all of this. And so he's just tired of hearing her nag at this point. It's because he's put himself in this position. So he finally says, he finally says, look, it's, it's my hair. A razor has never touched my head. And so she lulls him to sleep. She shaves off his hair. The Philistine men come in to overtake him says that when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, and after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of, her hair, of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Now earlier we read that he went to Timnah to find his first wife, this Philistine woman. Now Timnah from Zorah, where he grew up, was six miles so at that point, he's just dipping his toe in enemy territory. Now we see that he's gone from Hebron to Gaza, which is 45 miles. So now he's deep in enemy territory. See, Samson at this point, he's begun to drunk, drink his own Kool-Aid a little bit. He, he wasn't just engaging with the enemy. Now he's surrounded by the enemy. And at this point, this is what Samson's life looks like right here. And he's going... It's fine. I got this. It's no big deal. So what? I'm surrounded by the enemy. So what? This woman that I'm, that I'm with, she's constantly trying to overtake me and everything. Like, I got this. It's no big deal. 
Three times he toys with Delilah and the Philistines about the source of his strength. And at this point, Samson's completely forgotten that it's because of the Spirit of the Lord. And it leads to a major lapse in his judgment, leading to Samson breaking the third and final aspect of his Nazarite vow. He'd already visited a vineyard, he'd already touched a dead carcass, and now he gets a haircut, which leads to one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. I'm telling you, man, the book of Judges has it all. Judges 16, 20 says this. It says, then Delilah called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, ignorance is the result of arrogance. See, when we think that we're capable of doing it all and that we don't need anything that God has for us, that that leads to, to ignorance. And we're unaware that God has left us. We're unaware that he's not anywhere in our life because we've chosen to do things our own way. Proverbs 16.5 says that the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. So the key question here is, where have you grown ignorant to the absence of God's spirit in your life? Where have we grown ignorant to the absence of God's spirit in our life? Good news is Samson's story doesn't end there. Judges 16, 21 and 22 continues. It says, the Philistine seized him gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But before long, Samson's hair began to grow back. Man, I love that verse. The God that we serve is a God of second chances. You and I, we're all going to have to face the consequences of the decisions that we've made but God can still use us despite our past mistakes, our failures. Somebody here this morning needs to know this. You need to hear this. You are never too far gone for God to redeem you. Samson's story ends this way. It says in verse 28 of chapter 16, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And so when Samson says, remember me, that's repentance. He's coming to God with a repentant heart. And when he says, strengthen me just one more time, he's finally come to the place of recognition where he realizes that it was never about him. It was God the whole time. And see, when we choose repentance, what happens is it it leads us to the place where we can recognize that we are nothing without God and that everything that we have is from him. Every success that we've ever experienced is because he has allowed it to happen. See, Samson's story is one of tragic loss. Like me, he lost his hair. He lost his strength, his sight, 
his liberty, his usefulness to God, his testimony, and ultimately his own life. All of this could have been avoided if Samson would have simply chosen to live life God's way instead of his own way. Maybe you're here today and you've chosen to live life your own way. You've been consumed by arrogance and pride, thinking that you're the reason by any successes that are taking place. I would submit to you the fact that one day all of the worldly gains that you've experienced are going to pass away and you're going to stand before your creator. And today he's calling you to no longer live for the things of this world that are just temporary those fleshly desires and cravings that you have. And and what he's calling you to is instead to live for something more, something lasting, something that's eternal. If you're ready to take that step and surrender your life once and for all to the Lord, here in this room, watching online with us today, I want to invite you to pray the simple prayer with me. We pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus in his way the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.